Welcome to Stories from the Park, a Heritage Park podcast. Hi, I'm Kasaya Quill, Chief Curator. And I'm Dominic Terry, Communications Manager here at Heritage Park. We are located on Treaty 7 land in Calgary, Alberta, a place where visitors come to learn about the history of all those who have gathered here and where Indigenous people proudly share cultural traditions and tell stories about their rich heritage, history, and attachment to the land. In this episode, we're exploring more stories of Black history in Alberta, where people came from, where they settled, and what they did for employment, as well as the discrimination they faced. Our guest is Deborah Beaver, the great-granddaughter of settlers who settled in Campsie, near Barhead, and is a co-founder of the Black Settlers of Alberta and a Saskatchewan Historical Society. Hi, Deborah. Thanks for doing this. Uh, we really appreciate you coming and having a chat with us about a very important month on the calendar and celebrate something that we celebrate in different ways all around the year, but Black History Month. Thanks for coming and talking to us about the history of uh, the Black community in Alberta and uh, more over the prairies. Well, thank you for asking me to join you. Well, we love to learn from all sorts of different people because everyone brings in a different perspective and more information. So um, we're going to we're going to look at the broader context um, and see if you could tell us a bit more about where some of these earlier black immigrants to Canada were coming from and why they were leaving where uh, where they were coming from. I guess I could talk mo- mostly about my family, but I think uh, the majority or a lot of them, it's it seems in talking to other people uh, like my family, my on my paternal grandmother's side. Uh, they came from Alabama and they, but then there was, uh, they left Alabama. They made their way to Texas because things in Alabama weren't good. So Mm. they made their way to Texas and I don't know, something went wrong in Texas. So then um, that was before when Oklahoma became, before Oklahoma was, when it was a free state, Mm. many of the black people from the Southern states went to Oklahoma. Right. And then when Jim Crow laws and things started to happen in Oklahoma, that's when many of them chose to leave uh, the U.S. and make their way to Canada. Now, they're like, as I said, my uh, my paternal grandfather, they they're from Alabama. Um, My paternal grandfather they're from the Carolinas. Mm. Uh, a lot of these people, like they came from Missouri. Uh, a lot of the southern states, Texas, but uh, most of the southern states. And then they made their way up. And the reason that they left was the the racism and uh, uh, the way they were being treated in the states. And uh, the other thing is at that time, that's when... Canada, they were advertising for people to come. They had advertisements and uh, in the newspapers and things, and people were seeing these ads. So that's how they ended up heading up this way as well, because they were advertising for people to come and offering them land for $10 for, I think, 100 acres or something like that. It was cheap. Is that a... A kind of a trail that people would have taken do you think out of those eastern states at the time to go west and then try to find their way up to Oklahoma as things kind of followed them along and then kind of made their way into Canada yeah they kind of made their way into Canada and I know um like one of the settlements I don't know if it was that way for all of them but 
and I and it, how they communicated back then, you know, when you think about it now. But I know to up to uh, up by Amber Valley um, near Athabasca, they actually had people that they came up ahead. There were some men that came, mm-hmm. a group of men that came and looked you know, on land and then somehow sent word back or I don't know if they went back or sent word back to say, okay. So then there was when there was, there was groups of them that came to different part. Well, one of the, the different parts of Alberta, but yeah, I think the trail was mostly because they were leaving and Oklahoma was a free state. And then when they got to Oklahoma, they, I mean, they were treated badly. They couldn't vote. They couldn't, there were so many things that they couldn't do. And as I said, Canada was advertising. So that's one of the big things that led them here was, was that advertisement of, yeah, hey, yeah. come. Yeah. So was there like a way that they decided where they wanted to go in Canada? Did, was it just well, someone went ahead and they. Well, as I said, Canada was advertising. Mm-hmm. And Alberta and, and Alberta wasn't a province yet. Uh, right. Canada had barely, this would have been, well, the bigger, the major immigration, as far as I know, was between, say, 1905 and 1911. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and actually, there was only about, about between 13 and 1800 people that actually were part of that immigration. Mm-hmm. And then the government said, okay, we don't want any more of you guys here. Mm-hmm. We don't want any more. So that that was, uh, I mean, in, in terms of that, that was a small group of Black people. That, but it didn't yeah. take too many for them to say, we don't want you. And, and I mean, I actually have, uh, there's, this was in, uh, what was it, April, August 15th, 1911, where, um, there was a period of time where they basically said that they didn't uh they didn't want immigrants belonging to the Negro race, mm. which is a race deemed unsuitable to the climate and requirements of Canada. And this was a uh, it was in the government house at Ottawa. So they they cut them off. Wow. So that's but up and, until up until then, was it a, was it fairly welcoming? Was you know, did they were they? I guess not so much welcome with open arms, but almost tolerated for a while until you know word got back to Ottawa that hey, we're, this is you know we we don't like this. Well, I I mean I think like I said, eighteen hundred. That's not very many people. No, <laughs> that's a small amount. Um, and they also had very um, like the to get up. To get here, you had to have a certain amount of money. They had very strict medical requirements. Mm-hmm. They had to pass. They came with all of their equipment and their, in many cases, their livestock. Um, they came with food. They had to have, they had to prove that they could sustain themselves for a certain period of time. Right. So were most of them coming to farm or did they come for other opportunities? Uh, most of the, those people were mm-hmm. pretty much farmers because they settled in four rural areas yeah. in Alberta. And um, I don't know that much about 
Like once they got here, there was the immigration hall in Edmonton. So they would have all eventually had to come through immigration hall. Now, when the, they came on the train mm-hmm. and more, more, the majority of them came through Emerson, Manitoba. So that was when that was the border cross that they, okay. they had to make it to. And then I'm not sure how they got, well, I guess train and they had horses and oxen and to get here to Edmonton. And then um, I haven't done any research uh, to know when they got to Immigration Hall, how this land was given to them. Right. You know, uh, or did they did they actually get a, a map and get to pick their homestead or was it was it assigned to them? But I do know that the majority, well, of the set of the land that they got, it was rural. It was rural, um, and very heavily dense trees, and mm. like they had to literally um, to get out to get to their places. They had to cut down trees to even get up to make a a road into where they were going to live, and then cut down trees to build their whatever they lived in lean twos and stuff until they could build their house. Wow. Now I think there was some guidelines too as I as to how long it seems to me I heard three years or something for them to build a yep. some kind of a house structure. Yep. And uh you know and, and so those were all farmers and they settled in well Amar Valley which was is up near Athabasca. Mm-hmm. And then Breton mm-hmm. and Wildwood. Okay. And Campsie. Okay. So those were the four rural settlements. Okay. Uh, there were some people that came um that didn't actually end up going to the country. They so there's some that ended up staying in Edmonton. And there's some that went to the country and it didn't work. So mm-hmm. they came back and and stayed in, in Edmonton. And there was also a settlement in Mainstone, Saskatchewan. Right. Right. Why Edmonton? Why not Calgary? Why not? Was it just the way that the CPR track ran? Was it, it was, they were told that this was a, a good place to be? Do you have any idea as to why they seem to find themselves in, in a bit northern Alberta or more central Alberta rather than southern Alberta? Especially if they were farmers. Well, my understanding is that the advertisements were for Edmonton or mm. the Edmonton area. Um, the one there uh, in Calgary, there was there was some that settled, ended up in Calgary, but mm. I think I mean a lot of them, the people in Athabas, the people in Calgary. Uh, a lot of those people are related, interrelated to all these people in all these other, mm-hmm. like all those settlements. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Calgary became more settled after the, the railroad. Right. And that's when more people started to move around in Calgary. Because honestly, I don't, I mean, other than um, John Ware, and he wasn't in Calgary, he was south of Calgary. Mm-hmm. I don't know that there was any, certainly of our settlers that I know of, that yeah. were farming in the Calgary 
area. Yeah. There was like one family, the Lewises that lived down here and they married into John Ware, like that their daughter married yeah. John Ware, yeah. but they came out from Toronto. So they were already Canadian um, immigrant. So just Canadians moving across the prairies. So there's kind of almost a different kind of history going on here. It's a slightly later period. They're calling for Americans to come up to settle in the bush country almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, there's, and some of the Lewises are descendants of, I mean, they went, they mm-hmm. ended up in Edmonton. Yeah. There's a lot of moving around. Um, yeah. were, were people then, I guess at a certain point, they're moving to places where they can find people who are like them and more like we have a lot of block settlement in this area of the world. Is that something that then was happening with the the black immigration as well as that they're um, going to where the new people were? Well, I, I think, um, as I said, the, they had in Athabasca anyways, they had the mm-hmm. scouts. Right. Somehow they had word of mouth. So, yeah, they and again, mm-hmm. I don't know if if they if when immigration came, mm-hmm. when they got to Immigration Hall, if they as I said, did they get to pick their land or did they say, okay, yeah. you guys are all going, you know, we want you all here mm-hmm. and we want you all here. And for the people, black people that were coming from the States, I'm sure that they weren't, uh, they didn't mind being out far away from, because yeah. then they could be on their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't have to worry about being lynched and shot and, you know, you had to worry about bears and coyotes and those kinds of things. <laughs> but um, and the other thing that I've found doing a lot of the research, some of the research that I've done is moving. They ended up in these areas, but there was other immigrants that came mm. there, too. Yeah. Um. So like in the area that I was raised in, we were one of the smaller settlements. But um. Uh, some of our, um, some of the neighbors were uh, like German, mm-hmm. but they had escaped like to Russia or something like that because of what was going on in Germany. We had some, our closest neighbors were, I want to say, we always thought they were German, but it seems to me it had something to do with Austria or someplace that they were mm-hmm. escaping from. Wow. And then sometimes they were born, you know, maybe they were Austrian and then they had to escape across the border. So they just assumed German. Right. But we always thought they were German, but they were actually, I believe, hmm. Austrian or something. Interesting. But there was, and, and so on our community, there was a lot of uh, German. Hmm. Um, uh, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. Um, last year, during this kind of, during February, we did a number of podcasts. One one was with Suzette Mayer, who wrote a, a fictionalized account of a black sleeping car porter, um, mm-hmm. won a Giller Prize for excellent uh, excellent book. Where we talked about farming, and obviously there were a number of sleeping car porters who would find work in in that in that field. What other kind of opportunities did Black people find there, or were they kind of sort of pigeonholed into those couple of different things? That 
well, that was the thing. If they weren't farming in a way, the people that lived on the farms, and in many ways, it was hard work and everything, but we had, I think, easier lives than the people that ended up in the city because mm-hmm. a lot of the people in the city had problems finding jobs. Um, my aunt, uh, for example, I mean, as she, well, she had probably, she had problems getting into school because they didn't want black people in the school that she, she was going. And that was in Campsie. And uh, mo- many of the women worked as domestics. Mm. Now there were, and domestics were, it's just a housekeeper, but that's what they called them back then. Um, there was a, back in the f- mid 50s, yeah, 50s, maybe, maybe even earlier 50s. There was a lady here in Edmonton that had a restaurant. So some of the black younger women and stuff were able to go and work in her restaurant so that they Mm. didn't have to uh, work as as, uh, domestics. But I can remember, uh, well, my aunt working when I, I, and I can't tell you what year it was because I'm, but I remember she and my uncle, they actually lived in a basement suite and she was housekeeping for uh, these people, mm-hmm. um, the Nelsons. She was housekeeping for the Nelsons. And and this would have been, well, it must have been in the 60s. Wow. And then, uh, but then she finally um, got a job doing something for a doctor or something. Mm-hmm. And he got her into the kitchen at the Misericordia hospital Mm. and she ended up getting her journeyman cook license Mm. and and that was back when you could do it at like you could work and you didn't have to go to any place. So she managed to get her journeyman cook and that's what she did. And and she retired in about in the 1980s, but she worked as a domestic. Um, her sisters, one of my my dad's sisters, I don't recall that she ever worked out of home. She got married, and her husband was a porter. And I don't think she ever worked out of home. The other one, um, she did because she was the younger one, and she worked. She eventually got a job. She didn't work as a domestic or anything, but she eventually got a job with the something to do with the government. Mm-hmm. But she had to work in the back office. Mm-hmm. She wasn't she couldn't work on the front or anything. She was in the back doing filing or right. something like that. So um and for the men it was it was even harder for the men than it was for the women actually. Wow. Well, because it's easier to find a housekeeping job, right? Yeah, oh yeah. totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But for the men now, um it was difficult. So uh, some of them worked, um, you know, on construction or if you were on the farm and you had, you know, you'd go and help somebody farm or whatever labor work, if you could find work. Um, But the porters and actually I have an article here I just I found about the porters. This is Earl Heslett. He talks about his. uh, he the trains offered steady work and it was a way to see the count. Mm. It was billed 
as a way for young men to see the country. Being a porter on a passenger train was only was the only railway job open to a black man at the time. And he was 85 years old when he uh, did this interview in 2005. And he worked for 40 years on sea on Canadian National Railroad. Wow. He started, wow. he started in 1943 as a porter carrying people's bags and worked his way up to a night car conductor. His last job before retiring 20 years ago. And he said it was hard work, heavy list, lifting, lots of travel, little sleep, and sometimes having to deal with difficult passengers. Hmm. But it was steady work. Wow. So there's fewer opportunities for the men, as you said, and uh, the women had maybe more local opportunities for work. Yeah. So yeah. many of the men did this because it was steady. Right. Uh, I don't know what the pay was, but it was steady work. Um, just important. Yeah, and they and I mean, and it wasn't easy. Then some of them didn't. They were treated badly by I don't know about the people the uh, by the company, but definitely by a lot of the passengers. You hear some mm -hmm. of the stories that they tell. They were treated badly, and if they uh, and I think it's in that Suzette Mayer's book. Mm -hmm. I read it too, yeah. where if uh, somebody complained that they docked money off your pay and stuff, yeah. I believe that yep. was in that book. Yep, it yeah. certainly was. Yep. Yeah, yeah it uh, it didn't uh, didn't paint a, a very rosy picture of being a a, a sleeping car porter um, in the uh, in the in that nineteen you know early nineteen hundreds into the well into they, where your been, uncle was there. Yeah, he said he started in nineteen forty three. Hmm. Yeah. What what are what else are you working on? What are you um what are you researching? What is interesting you right now? Uh, <laughs> uh what am I working on now? I I probably have my hands in too many pots. Um I've I've worked with a group of students, a couple of groups of students from Nate. Mm -hmm. And we last well in April of twenty what year? 2023, we finally finalized and got a, our up, an updated, really uh, good website. Um, I worked with actually three groups of students. And we have, I'm really proud of that. Um, I'm still working with, I mean, my goal would be to do a short film or documentary. Mm. But I want to do it on... Um, Wildwood and Camp C. And, and the reason I want to do that is because those are the two areas that have been uh, not highlighted as much. Everybody, many people know about Amber Valley because of mm -hmm. the baseball team. It was, um, and many people know about Breton because the museum is, there's a small museum there. Right. Um, but Camp C and Wildwood, and actually Wildwood was the largest settlement. Oh. I wasn't even really aware of that. But they were the largest of the of the settlements, and very little has been written or documented about Wildwood. So that's one thing that I'm trying to to do is work with these students because I don't know much about Wildwood. In 2005, we actually formed a, a historical society. So I have we do have a historical society. We did. Uh, we it was a research project 
Um, and it was funded by uh, Alberta Heritage Research Council. Yeah. And we, inter- and we interviewed oh, a whole bunch of people, 50 or so at least. So I have about 45 edited, digitized um, interviews. Oh, wow. Of these uh, people. And our criteria at that time was the people had to be 80 plus years old and descendants of these uh, people that <coughs> came from the States. Right. And I was lucky to get so many of them because I'd say now, oh, uh, if I look at my list, the majority yeah. of them have passed away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What kind of uh, what kind of stories came out of that uh, those recordings, Deborah? Uh, a variety of things. I mean, it was mostly what we, we had a list of questions and things, but I mean, mostly the project, the, the title of our project is called In Their Own Words. Mm. So, uh, you know, we asked the questions and it depended on how people taught, they talked about their lives or what they did or their families or, and, and it's interesting too, that I found that a lot of them didn't dwell on the hardships and things that they went through. I mean, they maybe talked about it, but most, most of them were just their lives, you know, work and. Yeah. Um, and I, I didn't just interview uh, black people in Campsie and in Breton. I also interviewed some of the, the older uh, white people that mm. like, especially in Camp C because there was a problem with the school. They didn't want the black kids going to this one school. And so I did interview two or three people that were involved in um, when the, the, the new school wow. school was built, they all ended up going to the, the new school. Mm. And these were immigrants too. Like, uh, the one family, I think, uh, I can't remember. They were German. Mm-hmm. They left Germany. I don't know. They ended up in Lethbridge. And then when they ended up in Campsie area, uh, he was telling me about how he was a kid. But he said when the war broke out, he remembers the RCMP coming to their house and taking all their guns. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the other one of the other guys that I interviewed, um, he talked about how their family had to change their name. Right. Sounds like a very interesting community to grow up in and uh, experience with all these kind of different people of immigrant groups. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, my dad was born uh, out. My great my grandfather uh, came from the state. He was born in, uh, I think he was born in Missouri. I, I some of these places they slip. I think that's where he was born. But his dad, they left North Carolina, and I used to wonder, you know, these people would come, and I think, oh, well, Granny was born in Alabama, and Uncle Reese was born in someplace else, and. But it's because they were moving across the country mm-hmm. and these kids yeah. were born in all these different yeah. places. Yeah. 
Well, we appreciate you taking the time to talk with us greatly. We know that you have lots of people asking to talk to you at this time of year, especially. So, Well, it's quieter this year. That's fine with me, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, Deborah, thanks for doing this. We really, uh, really appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.